0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Bubbling Adventure, a podcast all about kids and how positive education and conscious parenting can impact their entire life as well as society. I am your host, Julie, and each Thursday we are having conversations with guests on different themes, and our aim is to have open discussions, share different points of view, and learn in a non judgmental way. Today we are joined by Abigail, who will teach us how to turn ADHD into a superpower. Abigail has witnessed ADHD firsthand with her students and then with her husband and her kids. Throughout the years, she has tried many different techniques as well as invented some of the solutions that she will share with us today. ADHD is one of the most common neurodevelopmental conditions of childhood and according to UC Davis Health, it occurs in 5 to 9% of the population, although the symptoms do tend to evolve when growing up. If you like this type of content, you should definitely subscribe as there is a new episode every Thursday morning. You can also support this podcast by writing a review on Apple Podcasts or leaving a five star on Spotify. But without further ado, let's begin.
1: En faisant cette chanson.
2: Mama, Papa, Mama, Papa.
3: Hi Abigail, how are you today? Hey there, it's such an honor being with you today, I'm doing great.
0: No, thank you so so much for joining. Could you please introduce yourself to the audience and explain what you do and where you
3: live? Absolutely, so my name is Abigail Gimpel and right now I'm living right near Jerusalem in Israel. I'm from New York, as you can probably hear from my accent. I've also lived in Moscow for a couple of years. And I'm mainly and firstly a mom of six children three boys and three girls, a good bunch of them diagnosed with ADHD. So the next part of my bio would be that I took a deep dive into ADHD actually before my children were born as a young teacher, when I met these children with ADHD symptoms and I saw that I had absolutely no tools to educate them properly. So it was then as a 20 year old that I decided to really get a proper education and learn how to discipline and invite these students to be part of the classroom conversation and calm down their stress and their uh, need to test limits all the time. And uh, I met my husband a couple of years later. He is a super energetic guy and very similar to the students I was teaching at the time. And as we know, ADHD is uh, quite genetic and therefore the rest is history. Hmm. So I've been working with ADHD for many, many years, over 20 years. And after creating a program that was quite excellent for my students and for my college students, I'm, I'm teaching in teacher's college here in Israel, as well as with my clients and my own children, I finally became an author and wrote down my entire program in a fantastic book called Hyperhealing. And uh, that's a very short bio. <laughs>
0: wow. Well, it's not that short. It feels like so much, especially lot with stuff. six kids, you know? Wow. It's <laughs> impressive. So I think most people know what ADHD is right now, because we've been talking about it for, you know, a few years at least, Um, but maybe you could explain a little bit, you know, what are the different types briefly, obviously, I know we could talk about this subject for, for hours and hours, but maybe if some people need some clarification on this term.
3: Sure, ADHD really is a list of symptoms uh, behavioral symptoms, behavioral and emotional symptoms that we're gonna that we see in children as well as adults. And in children, we're gonna see them uh, two different types. One is gonna be more hyper, jumping around the classroom and, and uh, being rude, jumping into conversations, not being able to hold back, being impulsive, perhaps endangering themselves, maybe being slightly more aggressive than other children and what I call instant gratification. They want everything here and now and interesting and fun and uh, try to do, get them to do anything that is a routine that we repeat every day. They are not going to participate with us. That would be one type of of ADHD. The other would be the more passive dreamy, someone who's more artistic and kind of tuned out to what's going on around them. That would be the kid looking out the window and less engaged. Both groups of kids will have trouble socially. One of them is going to be over dominant uh, socially, which is they're going to have a lot of leadership possibilities, but they might overstep. Uh, with their leadership. Uh, One example would be, you know, the kids playing a game together and uh, this one kid having all these great ideas, everybody wants to play with him or her. And then the kid gets out in his own game and will sabotage the game for everybody else. So, whereas he was super popular just a minute ago, now nobody wants to play with him or you'd have that um, I'm using him and her just because typically the boys are more hyper and the girls are more passive, but, and, and dreaming, But it's not necessarily so in my family, the girls are are quite hyper energetic, but you'd have a a young girl perhaps who is very much wanting to make connections with friends, but doesn't know how to start the conversation or will be tactless in, in the things that they bring up. So these kids really do struggle. And uh, when I say it's a, it's a list of symptoms, we're looking at a book called the DSM Five, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, the fifth edition of it. And you can look up all of those symptoms. But at the end of the day, it is a list of troubling symptoms. And what we as parents, teachers, friends, and people with ADHD themselves, we have to figure out why children and adults are struggling with these symptoms. Hmm.
0: Yes, this is very interesting. And I think many people will be also able to recognize themselves in what yes. you just said, <laughs> because, uh, yeah, I'm. Uh, I've kind of thought that maybe I had ADHD to some degree, but I've never been diagnosed. So maybe that's also something that we can talk about, about the diagnosis. Are your kids diagnosed? If yes, how, you know, is this
3: process going on? I have found the diagnostic process very disappointing. Because essentially what they're doing is a checklist. The, the doctor gives the parents and a teacher a checklist of symptoms of behaviors. And then the doctor kind of looks at those symptoms. And according to that and a few other neurological tests, they're going to bang the knees a little bit. They're going to have the kid look at their finger and all sorts of other kind of neurological um. I don't, I don't even know what to call it, but that's what they're doing. And then based on that, within half an hour, your child is diagnosed with ADHD. That's not the gold standard. The gold standard of diagnosis would be that the doctor would see if there's other things causing the ADHD symptoms, such as a sleep disorder or emotional distress. If the child's uh, in living in a home where the parents are getting a divorce or there's some kind of trauma or abuse going on. Most of the time that's or a physiological test to see if the child has uh, autoimmune conditions, asthma, allergies, you know, skin conditions, a constant runny nose, things like that. That's usually not what happens. What happens is this checklist doctor just kind of puts a check on it and stamps you with an ADHD diagnosis. That's what happened with my own children. The first one was diagnosed within five minutes. I remember the story, we, we, we went into the doctor's office and she was busy printing up something from a previous patient. So we're sitting quietly, which is not a, was not a very easy thing for my seven-year-old daughter. And the doctor mm-hmm. presses print on her computer and you know the printer roars to life. And my daughter hears the printer, gets super excited because she just loves to engage everything. And she leaps out of her seat, runs to the printer, pulls the paper out and hands it to the doctor. With a huge smile on her face. Look what I did. And the doctor looks at me, locks eyes with me and says, slam dunk ADHD. And I'm like, woo, what was that? That was pretty, uh, you know, quick. Maybe make eye contact with my child before you uh, diagnose her. Because she was just kind of looking down at these forms. And then my daughter leaped up without permission. And she got her ADHD diagnosis. Most doctors are better than that. But no ADHD diagnosis really tells us why a child is struggling. It just tells us, yes, your child fits the criteria of these list of behaviors that we have written down in front of us.
0: And do they, for example, give you any information on how to make it better, some tools on, you know, how to to help your kid?
3: So here again, disappointing. There are few rare doctors who will do that. And my father-in-law is a psychiatrist and neurologist, and he gives out uh, after a diagnosis, he will give out what he calls his 10 commandments where he recommends exercise, drinking a lot of water, getting better sleep, staying away from screens, things like that. And so that at least the the patient will know to that. These are things that they should get to. unfortunately, because they have ADHD symptoms, they're not great at following through. Mm -hmm. And uh, so the list is a good suggestion, but but they don't usually get enough help to get to where they go. And in most cases, the intervention that's recommended is medication, which could be valuable, but it certainly will not get to the root cause of the ADHD symptoms, nor is it a good long-term solution for anybody. So that, that, that's what I find to be the main solution that doctors are offering because they have limited time with a patient and they have a tool that kind of works pretty quickly. So why not offer it?
0: Yes. And on the other side, for example, so my, my brother was diagnosed with dyspraxia in France. And on the other side, he had to see, I think it's at least five specialists that and so I think a lot of kids are not even getting diagnosed because parents have to take time off work and like kids off school you know to be able to go to these different appointments and Mm -hmm. you have to you know it's I don't think social security handles all these appointments I I would have to check
3: but I'm not sure it was the case. Well, I could tell you as a mom that, that it doesn't. It's a lot of -of out-of-pocket expenses. Thousands of dollars could be spent just on getting Mm -hmm. the proper diagnosis and, and, uh, and care. Exactly. And so
0: my mom had to literally, you know, drive the car and sometimes it was far because obviously these specialists are, you know, there's not many of them. So you have to find the right hospital where they are. And it's just a lot of, a lot of back and forth, and oh, you should go and see this one. You should go this, and you know, it it was minimum five specialists that they had to see just to find something, and maybe to help my brother. But then there wasn't much. You know, it was oh, here's the diagnosis, and what do you right. do with it? Well, um, <laughs> it wasn't as you know detailed of a plan or anything like that.
3: Right. And, and the truth is, this is something that that parents face in every country. I, I know actually your native France, there's been France has gotten a lot of compliments because they're not very quick on the, uh, the trigger finger to give medication. And they do see ADHD diagnosis way more as a a psychological, perhaps physiological. They're more quick to treat with a therapist rather than running to medicate, which uh, Mm -hmm. I give our friends a big thumbs up for it. But on the other hand, you're facing the same problems that most Western countries face, which is we are great at diagnosis and terrible at treatment, Mm -hmm. which is why I actually wrote the book because I deal with all my clients are parents. Of children with ADHD. But here's the problem. They were able to get to me because they could afford to have a bunch of meetings where I trained them to become coaches. And I helped them through our invest for through my investigation with the parents. I help them understand what the root cause of the child's problems are. And based on a long conversation with hundreds of questions, we're able to really uncover why the child is struggling. And then I hand the parent a treatment plan, but very few parents are able to get that kind of care for two reasons. Number one, the doctor is not even telling them they need that kind of care. In many cases, they're saying Here, ADHD diagnosis and here's the pill. And on the other hand, they can't afford it. So therefore I said, this is, is something missing here. And who suffers is the child because the child's not getting the care they need. And the, and the truth is that giving a child medication, although it could be valuable is not a program and it's not going to get the child to where the child needs to go. So I figured if I spend the time and write down my entire program, with the investigation part, as well as all the treatments, then parents will be able to, will, you know, for the price of a book, they'll be able to actually get the help that they need. And and that's my dream. That's why I did that. Even though writing a book is, it's just hard. I don't recommend it, (laughs) but it's hard. It's like, it's like my seventh child. Mm-hmm. The writing of it was fun, but then you get into the editing and the, uh, you know, all the other stuff. My God, it's it's worse than nine months of pregnancy. How long did it but, take? But I do hope that it will add to the literature in a way where parents will be able to pick it up and get exactly the help that they need by just reading and doing it together with a friend. You know, getting a few friends together where, let's say, your parents would be able to invite two of their friends. And together, they would go through the book. And I have an action plan at the end of every chapter. And also a a kind of a clip. I don't know if you know Cliff Notes, you're you're French. But it's a cheat sheet at the end of every chapter, Mm -hmm. where parents could just go through it. Okay, what did we learn quickly? And then let's make a plan for this week. And, and they all meet up the next week and discuss how they did and uh, and what progress they need to keep making. Mm.
0: Yes. No, that's very good. And so you mentioned, because I know you have collected a few tools, you know, that work for your kids, your husband, and you also <laughs> invented some. So I'd be curious yes. to see, you know, did it take a lot of testing or, you know, because obviously your kids have ADHD, but also in different forms.
3: So right. How does that work? (laughs) So uh, my oldest son likes the joke that that my kids were my lab rats. They were not my lab rats. They were (laughs) with love and patience. I was trying to find the right fit for them. So, uh, for example, what one little bit of lab route thing is that I know that kids need to have exercise in order to stimulate dopamine. So I brought my treadmill down to the kitchen and I got a little trampoline, which I put in the kitchen as well. Believe it or not, my kitchen is not that large. So we found a way. And I was waking my kids up super early in the morning. And, you know, one of them would be running on the treadmill. The other one would be jumping on the trampoline. A third would be going with a, with a uh, skateboard, which was called a ripstick throughout the house back and forth and trying to get them to sweat and get the dopamine running (laughs) in the morning Till I realized I was destroying my children because they were so tired. And, you know, for me dragging them out of bed at six o'clock in the morning, I said, okay, this is a bad idea. I'm going to, sign them up for extracurricular activities in the afternoon, like soccer and dancing. And yeah, one one of my daughters has been dancing ballet for Mm -hmm. 15 years and also yoga. And a few of them are in soccer teams. My youngest daughter is now on a star soccer team. She's absolutely adorable. But all of these programs were things that I've spent a lot of years reading and trying. So there's nothing in my book that I haven't tried at home. So it's all safe. And it's all very user-friendly because I've used it. I've tried it. I've not only at home, but with my clients, they've taken the advice, gone home and given me feedback. My own students have given me a, a plenty of feedback. So these are tried and tested techniques that work.
1: a mm-hmm. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row, dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby.
0: Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's true because even if they're different, right? So you said there's hyper and...
3: There's a more hyper and I'm calling it the more dreamy. It's um, inattentive is what it's officially called, but yes.
0: Mm -hmm. So I don't
3: think they're inattentive. I think they're attending to something else, just not what we want them to be attending to. Exactly.
0: And so are there different techniques for both or are there like, for example, some tricks that work for both
3: types? So some of them work for both and some of them are very particular, but let me give you an example of something that would work Mm -hmm. for both. So both of these kids, both types of children are missing habits because they're both looking to grab, like I said, instant gratification, the fun, the interesting, the novel. And and therefore they're not creating habits because the way we create habits is by doing the same task over and over again. I find that for myself, I love to drive. As a driver, I'll leave one place and I will get home and I'll realize like, I don't remember the journey. I've been paying attention. I'm, I'm a good, safe driver. But because it's such a habit, I'm not paying attention to it because I've done it so many times. Kids with ADHD symptoms, both inattentive and hyper, are always grabbing for the novelty. And therefore, they're not repeating behaviors over and over again. And they're not creating habits, which is why every morning is a shock to them that they have to wake up. And every mm-hmm. time you sit them down for homework, it's a, it's a new battle. But yet when you try to wake them up to go uh, you know, on a, on a hike, they're the first ones up, they're waking you up because something exciting is about to happen. So what we have to do with both types of kids is help them create habits. We would do that with a behavior modification program. So whereas let's say in the classroom for one kid, the behavior modification program would be about keeping his hands to himself or about organizing his desk. So he only has his notebook and his book and his pencil case on the desk. Uh, where for the other more inattentive child, we would have that child for, for a full month. This is these programs are always a full month because that's the time we need to create a new habit. Uh, for that child, we would say that the child must ask a question and answer a question and start working on a worksheet in that same cl- in that same time. So both of them are, are missing skills, but they're missing skills in other areas. The hyper kid, is interacting with the teacher all class long. The inattentive kid, we've got to draw her out and help her ask those questions. And once for a month, she's gotten used to paying attention enough to ask a question. We've got a new habit created. So that would be something that would be that we could use for both of them, but in slightly different ways.
0: Mm, That's interesting. I definitely can. So as I said a few times, my, my brother is dyspraxic. And now he's how old is he? 16, I think. And it's Mm -hmm. still a struggle to get him out of bed
3: in Ah, the morning. So you've got to uh, look at chapter
0: four, (laughs) he'll get all the answers. (laughs) And it's true because my mom has to fight every day for him to do his homework. And it's the same fight all the time, which can be quite tiring. And, you know, it does have an impact on the relationship after a while because. It's such a struggle on both sides that, and it's every day. So yeah, she's, uh, she's trying different tricks and so on, but I'm definitely going to recommend this book.
3: (laughs) Well, let me add something to that. A lot of kids with this kind of personality need a tremendous amount of attention and the best kind of attention is strong attention. And therefore we as the adults in their lives, we get to choose what kind of uh, strong attention we give them. Often we're letting them lead by them, allowing them to make us crazy. So therefore we're going to fight with them all the time. And the more we fight with them, the more they make us fight with them because now they have completely captured our energy and attention. Mm -hmm. So therefore in, in what I recommend is that we bring down that energy that we don't ever fight with the children. We have a very consistent discipline where there is a small consequence, a small punishment for that kind of behavior, but that we're giving a tremendous amount of attention to their positive behavior. So let's say your brother were to sit down and start his homework. He would get tons of attention piled upon him for doing that. And uh, of course, the fact is that this child is missing habits and that's why he's not sitting down. To do his homework. It's not because he wants to be bad and make everyone crazy. It's Mm -hmm. because he doesn't know how to do it. So I would say bring the attention to the positive side and then teach him and help him create habits of doing his homework every day. And this way, the uh, stress and the absolute destruction to the relationship gets removed, and your mom and your brother can rebuild in a a much more loving way.
0: Mm -hmm. Yes, that sounds great. I will, I will tell her to, to listen to this podcast. <laughs> so yeah. Is there any memorable experience that, you know, you came across either with, with one of your kids or with one of your students, some type of, you know, progression that you've seen that you find very inspiring?
3: Yeah. So I have a very strong message for my students, as well as my children, as well as myself, which is important that our goal is not to be perfect. Our goal is to take a step in the right direction every day. And to ask ourselves at the end of the day, did I do better today than I did yesterday? And if I did, I'm a grand success and I'm so pleased with myself. And I tell my my kids and my students that there's no such thing as failure. There's only success and a learning experience. And one day I was with one of my own children in the car. He inspired me so much because we had gone to a, a, a person who works with dyslexia and she and he he struggles with dyslexia, very similar to your brother. And mm-hmm. uh, so we were going to a special program. I was picking him up once a week, just like you're saying about your mom having to go from specialist to specialist. This was a once a week thing that we did for a full year where I picked Mm -hmm. him up at school and drove him an hour in each direction, fighting through traffic to have this uh, program. So I'm dropping him off at school at the end of one of these sessions. And we had a great time in the car. We talked a lot. And he says to me, you know, mom, it's it's really hard for me to work through this dyslexia. But I know that when I get bigger, I'm going to be even stronger than my friends because I'm going to know how to fight through challenges and get stronger from it. I said, in that one second, he taught me more lessons than anyone else has in my entire life. And I hold that very dear to my heart.
0: Oh, this is emotional. And he's so right, of course.
3: And he's a 16-year-old superstar right now. And the child touches everything and it becomes beautiful. He's artistic. He's golden hands and, and still struggles with reading. But he has overcome so much to become a remarkable, remarkable kid.
0: Of course. And also just resilience, you know, that's the hardest thing he had to do at such a young age. So, you know, obviously it taught him a lot about all the, the lessons and, you know, like don't give up and it's going to it's going to get better. So, wow, very, very inspiring. I love it. It's very emotional.
3: <laughs> yeah.
0: Oh. Is there any last advice that you would like to share?
3: This is something that I share with parents all the time. When your child gets diagnosed with ADHD, a lot of times it it knocks the wind out of us. We feel like we've been punched in the gut and we kind of get a feeling like there's something wrong with our child, like our child is broken. I remember once a a mother coming over to me and saying she has two children, two boys who had both been diagnosed with ADHD, and she didn't want to have any more children because she didn't want to have to bring more broken children into the world. And that broke my heart. And I said, your child... Your children are healthy, as as well as mine. These children are healthy children with a tremendous amount of potential. Not only do they have potential, but they have superpowers. These are kids that notice every detail and are curious and want to drink in the entire world. So when we get that diagnosis for our children, we have to be very careful to not shift the way we see our children and look at the diagnosis as a wake-up call. A wake up called knowing my child is exhibiting symptoms that are really challenging for her. And we have to then stop ourselves from going to this child's disordered, This child's broken. And we must bring ourselves back to this child is fabulous and healthy and a gift from God. And we have to then say, why is this child struggling? And we have to see ourselves then as investigators and look at all the areas of the child's life and figure out, is this child struggling with stress or trauma? Is this child not getting out enough? Is this child having some physiological problem? Is this child not exercising? Or perhaps this child is having a uh, screen addiction or has not developed the habits that the child needs in order to succeed in school and at life. So we have to slow ourselves down, take a deep breath, and with tremendous amount of love, For our child and for ourselves, and to protect our own well being, hold that child's hand and take a journey together because this really is a journey. And guess what? Your child has his or her entire life to succeed. And just because they're diagnosed in the seventh grade does not mean that they have to become an A student in the seventh grade. There is a lot of leeway, a lot of time, and the less we rush and the more we take time our child will do great. So no panicking. See yourself as a powerful tool and a partner to your child and do great together.
0: Mhm. Yes, it's about figuring it out together. As you said, it's really really powerful and it's true the diagnosis, you know, for kids can be also a little bit traumatic in itself, right? Cuz you go and see a doctor and then you have a diagnosis sometimes it can be like oh there's definitely something wrong and this is what my brother thought that there was something wrong that he was right. not smart that he was dumb and actually he kept most of these thoughts for himself for months, month and you know it sort of like grew. And then my mom realized and was like, of course not. Like, no, this is not what happened. It's good that you got diagnosed so that we can find solutions that work for you. So I'd say also just communication, making sure you your kid understands from the beginning that this is not a disease that's, you know, it's not, it doesn't mean anything on their capabilities and so on. And it's just that they need adjustments that's going to make it easier. And you know, not use all of their energy for the day in like one hour of trying to do
3: work. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) And, uh, and the truth is we have to really uh, respect these children. And Mm -hmm. we have to, just like we respect any other child, but here we have to make sure like you, like your mom did with your brother, we have to make sure this child never feels disordered. And when I meet with parents and we talk about a program, maybe a discipline program or an exercise program or so many other different programs that that we have available to us and all so healthy for the child, they say, well, what should I tell my child? And I say, tell him everything, the whole Mm -hmm. conversation, exactly what you've understood you share with your child, because the better communication you have, the better off your child's going to be. In my house, ADHD is special energy. And my, when my husband grew up, he had so much energy. He had to trace his feet on the floor of his classroom so that he would be able to know where to place his feet so he wouldn't jump around so much. But when he went out to the soccer field, he was the king and basketball and, and wrestling and every other sport. So we have to find what's fabulous about this child and really build that child up. Sports, art, music it doesn't matter what it is, but make sure that that child knows that she or he is special and has Mm -hmm. every capability in the world. And just like every other child, this child has areas that they're very strong at and areas where they have to work on. Just like Mm -hmm. the shy child that's sitting next to them in class, the shy child might be great at academics, but has to work on social skills. Mm -hmm. Same with them. They might be struggling with academics, but they might be socially gifted or they might be struggling socially, but they might be creatively gifted. And we have to let them know everybody struggles. Everybody has areas that are easier and more challenging. And that is why we are not in a bubble. And we work together as a community, as a classroom, as a family. No one should expect themselves to be Mm self-contained. We're not meant to be Superman. We're meant to be a team of people together.
0: This is so true. I think we tend to focus on the negative and imagine that for your your neighbor or your classmate, everything's, you know, so easy. So it's it's definitely good to have all these conversations and, and reassure them and communicate. So the book link will be in the show notes as well as everything that we talked about. And you can find Abigail on all her social media as well. So thank you so much, Abigail. I'm just wondering, is there anyone that you might not know them personally anyone who you know has a, a great story that you would like to know more about for example on the podcasts
3: so actually a woman a psychologist who's really really inspired me is carol dweck and in her amazing book small book called mindset and uh, i feel like all parents and all humans should be reading this book i just my, my I have my my oldest son is in the army Mm -hmm. And during his downtime, which is not much, I bought him the book and he's been reading through it. I think he's on his second read and it's been very inspiring to him. That teaches us to get away from the need for perfection or the need for comparison with others and just get into our own journey, our one step at a time. How am I better today instead of how am I better than my neighbor today? That's one. And obviously I love Jordan Peterson's uh, 12 Rules for Life. (gasps) (laughs)
0: I mean, I I would love to have him on the podcast, of course. Wouldn't that be
3: fun? (laughs) So uh, that is also extremely inspiring. And I've taken some of uh, Jordan Peterson's uh, advice and included it in my own book as well. And Mm. included that as um, why we must discipline our children and we must uh, treat them, teach them how to behave in a way that's acceptable to society. Because if we don't do it, society will do it for us. And that'll be much harder for our children. So if we learn to say no to our children in a loving and kind way, then they'll be prepared for the boundaries that society uh, presents mm-hmm. to our children and to all of us. So we, we don't want society slapping up our children. We want to be able to kindly be able to raise them in the best way possible. So I, I love that advice from Jordan Peterson. Mm-hmm. And if you can get them on your podcast, I would say go for it i will definitely try okay <laughs> i agree
0: with everything jordan peterson so no he's a he's a great one thank you so so much abigail for joining us today and sharing your expertise with us
3: thank you again. thank you very much it was an absolute pleasure
0: thank you so much for listening feel free to share if you think it might be helpful to someone you know. If you enjoyed this episode, then please make sure to write a review if you're listening on Apple Podcasts and subscribe if you haven't already. That's it for me. See you soon with the next episode. And in the meantime, have a lovely day.
1: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer.
2: There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hello, this
1: is Danny Pellegrino, host of the Everything Iconic podcast, and I'm here to tell you all about splash refresher because hydration is mandatory, but boring is not. Now, I love my water, but if I don't spice it up, I'm not going to finish what I took out of the fridge. That's why I love